Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. I have to be honest, you know, I do a lot of research, I love reading, and this book was one of the more giant pills I had to swallow because I was like, how on earth are you saying these things and how are you not giving the warnings? And it's like, you're a pastor, that's a shepherd. That's someone who is trying to make sure your sheep don't go astray, and it, it just breaks my heart. And 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 the Beatles, I, I hopefully you guys are seeing the warnings that we're trying to give. Don't go down that road and start listening to that music and being someone sitting in the seat of scoffers, people who are mocking God and we're under the influence of the demonic realm, not recognizing that we're wrestling not simply against a flesh and blood enemy, but there are rulers of the darkness in heavenly places, and they're coming after you. And when these things are pushed aside, I'm telling you what, right now, it is dangerous. And the Beatles weren't the only ones that he did this whitewashing. Yeah, before you move to the next yeah. one, Chad, I just want to mention one thing. is, is uh, And, I, and I, I'm not saying, I mean, there's them really godly, God-fearing Calvary Chapel pastors out there. Oh, yeah, amen. You just got to be very careful anywhere you go. You need to check out whoever's teaching, including if you visit our fellowship, Blessed Hope Chapel. Uh, in Simi Valley, California, you come, and it's like, you don't just check your mind at the door, you test everything by scripture. Amen. But uh, a lot of times, a lot of these leaders idolize these artists. And what happens is, they won't warn about, just like you said, some pastors are into porn, they won't warn about porn. Same deal's going on, like you said. Well, you know, I got invited to a church uh, down the highway a ways, and I've spoken to a lot of churches through the years, and did a pres- presentation on music, and there was more people that had their lives transformed, I was told by the pastor, and or I was told by the associate pastor that were more transformed at that particular Sunday, including family members of leadership there, and their lives were radically changed. And they were so excited. I say that because I was supposed to come back a couple years later because of the great transformation. So many people came to Christ. They saw this fruit. And praise God, because a lot of people that get ministered through our ministry, a lot of people right here in our fellowship, they're Jesus lovers, man. You see the transformation. And I was invited back. But then all of a sudden, they were canceling. I said, oh, okay, you're canceling. I go, what's up? And the associate pastor's like, I'm embarrassed to say this, Joe. He goes, but the pastor, he realized that you did an expose on Bono of you too. And his dog is named Bono, and he really loves Bono. And Bono's like his favorite artist right now. And I was like, yeah, in our expose, we exposed how Bono uh, said he wanted to start uh, uh, Zoo TV, which would compete with MTV and the Bandit, because he wanted to be an eye to the world to the youth, so they could see the movies of Aleister Crowley. And I have, I'm not going to go into Bono here. I'm totally, I'm just going to say, and, and I was like, wow, well, is he concerned about what Bono is teaching? Because he's, he's pro baby killing, you know? He says Jesus is, uh, is not the only way, you know? The way is narrow to keep fundamentalists out, all that yeah. stuff, coexist. And we get into Satanism and stuff in our expose and so forth. And I thought, wow, pastors have to be very careful that they're not idolizing, don't have idols in their lives where they put, what do you know you put an idol in your life? When you put the words of a man and his reputation above Jesus and you go by him and you're ashamed of Jesus or you don't let Jesus compare. And I don't know where that guy was totally at, that pastor. I don't judge his heart, but guess what? I'm saying, mm, something's wrong there though. And they ended up inviting me and I preached the word and there was fruit again. 
You know, yeah. thank God they they still got me in there. Oh, praise God. And and these things are so important and, and we need to recognize these things and see them for what they are. And you know what's interesting? He talks about the million dollar quartet. And when he talks about that, and, and the one artist we're gonna specifically hone in on here, and and by the way, we go over a number of artists. If you go to and you watch, they sell their souls to rock and roll. Specifically, Joe goes over. I got saved through it, so I didn't go over anybody other than watching it. But but nonetheless, when he talks about Elvis Presley here. This is what he says. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cass, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis, true pioneers of rock and roll, were all church-going country boys who believed in Jesus. But the devil seduced their souls and didn't let go for decades. However, they eventually found their way back to the light and rolled in his glory. And the one that I think we should hone in on here is probably the biggest one out of them. And that is none other than Elvis Presley, Joe. And I know we have a clip that we want to show from the Soldier Souls to Rock and Roll that you guys can see here because, Joe, before we even get into some of the other stuff that Elvis was into, let's just see how Elvis used Jesus throughout his lifetime to, in order to cover some of his sins. I was in the living room when she came in, and uh, I said, Elvis, this is Priscilla, Priscilla, this is Elvis. And I said, I had these visions of all of us just going to prison for life. I, you know, I was scared to death. She wasn't even 14 yet. Elvis lived with young teenage Priscilla in fornication for nearly five years until he was pressured for the sake of his public image to marry her. Elvis's marriage, however, never changed who he really was as he turned from fornicator to adulterer. Let's face it, from the time Elvis became famous until the very end he never at any point stopped seeing other women including with priscilla exactly never right. stopped he was having her around when he wanted her around see elvis used jesus christ's name as a cover and actually was so promiscuous that he participated in orgies sleeping with several women at a time you know the girl i was with last night oh man i'm gonna tell you she could raise the dead boy Regarding Elvis' gospel music, Albert Goldman in his book Elvis, The Last 24 Hours declared that, quote, essentially Elvis was a phony and that he feigned piety. Incredibly, what you are about to see is Elvis describing one of his sexual encounters as a hot lunch and after finding out that he's being miked, changing gears by singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I'm, I'm, I had a hot lunch, all right. Oh, oh. Uh, how was your lunch? No, no, I don't have a sound. Chad Elvis, there's a mic up there. Now, Joe, before we even get into, and we have a clip to play regarding how his life ended, I think it was very interesting, his own friend saying, until the very end, he was caught into adultery, he was just continue to yeah. cheat on on Priscilla. But Greg would have us believe he's he was heaven bound. Rolled into glory. Yeah, it's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It, it, it angers angers me because it, it it angers me when I hear what he just did with Jesus there right there. Right. You know, he uh he's a total phony. I mean, it's one thing, you know, I mean, he's mocking Jesus to the so-called Memphis mafia that are around him, you know, and some of those were his cousins and, you know, and so forth, and they were the closest people to him. They 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 wrote a book called Elvis what happened and they ex Talked about his occultism. They was into felt he had occult powers and all these other things. But that he would take the precious name of Jesus, who gave himself for us, right? And then he's caught talking about, you know, sleeping with all these different women and glorifying it and, and so forth. And and then uh, 
you, you, oh, you, you better put a monologue over that, Elvis. I mean, it would be one thing. It would be even bad if he just started saying, oh, well, let's talk about, pretend we're talking about something else. And never, But you know what? He's using the name of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter, do not use the grace of God as a cloak over your malicious, over maliciousness. And that is so wicked. And it shows you what he was about. So people say, oh, well, he did a gospel album. Yeah, that guy did a gospel album. This is a guy who felt he was in touch with spirits since he was a little boy. Uh, he thought it was his twin brother, Aaron, that died uh, at, at when, the, when, the, when he was born. His brother died. He continued to hear this voice. And, and then he felt he was a New Age prophet. And then he felt you know, a New Age messiah. Uh, uh, and that, you know, he heard these voices. He, he would read on stage like Don Rickles, remember the comic? He, he goes up to him and he says, read this, Don. And he would read from Madame Blavatsky. Okay, she's the woman who said that Satan is our redeemer. Okay, he'd read from her stuff on stage and indoctrinate his audiences. And it's just crazy because, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about, uh, well, did he really roll in the glory? I mean, how did he die? You know, he was sitting on the toilet when he died. It is important because we're talking about Greg Glory saying, yeah, Satan had him and they took him down all these bad roads. But in the end, they came back. And he, it's very convoluted, Joe, when you read about even the Million Dollar Quartet and Jerry Lee Lewis and so forth, because he does mention some bad things they did, but then all of a sudden, oh yeah, but in the end, yeah. they really came to the Lord, even though he was feigning piety all along, yeah. he tells the story that, trust me, we have this video with over a million views on YouTube, we've gotten plenty of emails from huge Elvis fans who tell us everything they think and specifically, oh, yeah, well, one time someone brought up a thing and said, you're the king. And he looked at them in concert and said, no, Jesus is the only king. Yeah, that's fine. You can feign piety all you want. And the demons believe in tremble. And the demons believe they in tremble. They call Jesus the Son of God. That's right. And then when you also look at his, the people next to him saying he never once stopped being an adulterer. All the way in what? Until he came to Christ? No, until the very end. And just as Joe mentioned, here, are, here is how he ended up passing at the end of his life. Sadly, what blossomed in the 1960s was a sewage out of the cesspool of Satan's heart. Things like drug abuse were the very things that killed Elvis. What you see before you are the pills that represent what only one doctor prescribed to Elvis in 20 months before his death. No one is out of reach of drugs, man. Here is a man that had it in the palm of his hand and started off with it that way and the drugs took it away from him. Elvis's autopsy revealed 14 different drugs in his body. Dr. Norman Weissman, director of the Bioscience Laboratory, testified that he had never seen so many drugs in one body. Incredibly, the night that Elvis died, his body was filled with drugs and his soul was filled with occultic lies. He died reading a book called Sex and Psychic Energies, a book about the very occultic forces that he had tapped into to initiate the world into sexual license and promiscuity and the lies of the New Age as the king of rock and roll. Elvis took his packet of medication and started reading a book on psychic energy then. He thought that would help him fall asleep. Then I fell asleep. So at about 8 o'clock, I woke up because Elvis was restless, saying that he just couldn't sleep. So he called downstairs for Ricky again, and Ricky came up and brought up uh, another packet of medication. He took the book on psychic energy with him, and he started toward the bathroom door. And I said, no, don't fall asleep. And he turned and smiled at me and said, oh, okay, I won't. I'll never forget, I grabbed Elvis by the shoulder and I pulled him over and I saw a sight that haunts me for the rest of my life. His face was blue bloated, his tongue was black and half bitten off, 
Right. And it didn't take me two seconds to realize that, that Elvis Presley was dead, dead, dead. The truth dead. of the matter is that Elvis, the king of rock and roll, was killed by the very rock and roll lifestyle that he promoted and so epitomized in his very life. Besides his obsession with sex and drugs and the occult, Elvis was also obsessed with death. Elvis was so obsessed with death that his former disciples admitted that he would take them through graveyards and visit funeral homes as late as 3 a.m. to wander around the slabs looking at all the embalmed bodies. All of Elvis's fame, fortune, women, drugs, music, and the demonic powers he had tapped into could not bring Elvis happiness in the end. It was one huge, brutal lie. On the outside, Elvis presented the picture that he had it all together, but on the inside, he was the most miserable man on earth. Pastor Hamill, who pastored First Assembly of God in Memphis, stated that when Elvis had visited him in the late 50s, at the pinnacle of his success in rock and roll stardom, that Elvis declared, quote, I'm the most miserable young man you've ever seen. I've got all the money I'll ever need to spend. I've got millions of fans. I've got friends. But I'm doing what you taught me not to do. And I'm not doing the things you taught me to do. Nearly a decade later, in 1967, Elvis would attempt suicide. Elvis would later declare, it's better to be unconscious than miserable. Albert Goldman, in his book, Elvis, The Last 24 Hours, presents a case that Elvis may have ended his life by committing suicide. In the end, Elvis found out the truth of God's word. The wages of sin is death. And he rejected the gift of God, eternal life, through Jesus Christ. He did not heed the warning in God's word. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and are not deluded by the image, but see through to the reality, Elvis' life was a big lesson. Jesus Christ warned, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Now, Joe, it's sad to me that instead of warning and using this as a warning, which, by the way, what book did she say he was reading? Was it the Bible? I, I don't think so, Joe, before he went to go die on a toilet. Yeah. I mean, using all of these drugs, that doesn't sound to me like he was going to the light and rolling into glory. Yeah, the, that's that's the reality uh, from the testimonies. He was in the occult and the sorcery. And the Bible says all sorcerers, or, or says sorcerers will not inherit God's kingdom. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Revelation 21, 8, it says that sorcerers will go to the lake of fire. Revelation 22, 15, 14 and 15, they won't enter the holy city. Uh, and on and on. And, and the message in Revelation as well, in chapter 9, verses 19 and 20, is that the folks in the end get judged by God and they partake of his wrath because they don't repent of their various sins, including the worship of demons and sorcery. Yet Greg wants us to believe that he rolled into glory. And what message does that send? What message is Greg sending to all of his fans? They're like, wow, you can live a debauched, wicked lifestyle, get into the occult, Hinduism, mysticism, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and you can die in rebellion to God. And as long as you made a confession earlier, you're, you're right with God. And he knows deep down that's not true. He knows the scriptures say without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He knows the scriptures say be not deceived. These types of folks will not inherit God's kingdom. And we need to do true, genuine evangelism. We're telling people you need to repent and turn from your sin. You need to continue in faith because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he that endures the end will be saved. The scriptures warn that if we don't persevere in the faith, Paul said we'll be cut off. And so we need to continue in the faith, continue to trust Jesus. And that's what the early church taught. I know right now it doesn't tickle people's ears. People don't want to hear the warnings, but praise God, there's always a remnant of people that love God's truth, and I praise God so much for audiences among them. Yeah, and let's let's use this as a time for warning, and that's one of the things that's great is when you do correct somebody who's come out 
and taught something so false that maybe getting people, let me get my old Elvis records back. You know, maybe I'll buy my Elvis stuff. Well, you know what? What about when you just completely sugarcoat and instead of saying really much negative outside of, oh, they use some drugs and so forth, but so did I back in the day. Instead of doing that, this is a picture of Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix, who Greg Laurie talks about. And under the title, it just says the greatest. Jimi Hendrix could play behind his head and with his teeth, getting sounds out of his instrument no one thought possible. When he set his guitar on fire at the 1969 Newport Pop Festival, the act was without precedent. A year later, he was dead at 27. The coroner estimated Hendrix took as many as nine sleeping pills that fateful night and determined it was most likely an accident. To this day, many consider him the greatest guitarist who's ever lived. And in terms of the only thing he wrote about whether or not he's going to be in, he's in heaven and so forth, he said, we don't know how Hendrix felt about God or if he subscribed to a particular faith. But he did once say, quote, we call our music electric church music because it's like a religion to us. All these years later, I wish Jesus could have been included in that statement. Well, we do know about his religion. Uh, you know, he talks about how he got sounds out of his guitar that nobody could imagine happening. And he, he, he lit his guitar on fire, this epic experience like this. So, so, and he doesn't realize, doesn't contextualize it. What's going on there? John, that song that Hendrix lit is, is called Voodoo Child. And he looked at himself as a voodoo priest. I remember when, when I got saved, he, a lot of people heard my testimony, and I won't go deep into it other than to say one of my uh, staple experiences from getting into the occult and, and, and visualizing my success and doing the meditations when I was 16 and 17 was not only channeling a bunch of lyrics and realizing that these entities were real in time, not right away. I'm back to my subconscious at first. And glorifying Satan, didn't realize what I was doing, didn't believe Satan existed, boom. But you know what? The state of paralysis I talk about, not only paralyzed, but there was that humming sound that would go through my head. Well, after I got saved, I knew that I knew that I knew, man, these guys, man, they made it big. I'm just some, you know, 16, 17-year-old channeling lyrics and channeling music, playing trippy stuff that my friends are tripping out on. But guess what? These guys made it huge. And I'm gonna, I, I, I knew that I knew that I knew that they were involved in the same stuff because they'd gone so far. And I started looking at their lyrics, their interviews. I'm like, yep, they're all talking about demons and spirits and channeling spirits and so forth. And I read, excuse me while I kiss the sky by, by a, a biography of Jimi Hendrix after he died. And in there, and by the way, it's interesting because in, in, in that particular book, it talks about how Jimmy would go through straits of prowess, couldn't move, and there'd be this sound that would be going through his head. And I'm like, yep, there it is. It's also in the most popular song of all time that Robert Plant said he channeled. If your head is humming, it won't go in case you don't know, the piper's calling you to join him. And I've been able to document it throughout some of, a lot of history, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's very real. But what he's doing is singing Voodoo Child, bro. And he's sacrificing his guitar. It's a demonic act. Greg Laurie, I'm sure, knows what voodoo is. You know, it's contacting the loa or the spirit entities. And the Bible tells us these are fallen angels. They're demons that possess your body. And he got these sounds out that Jimmy, that he says that, you know, people didn't think were possible. Where does that come from? Well, we're going to find out where it came from. And he definitely was religious. Let me read one quote from him. And he, this is in the liner notes of his album, Electric Ladyland. Things like witchcraft, which is a form of exploration and imagination have been banned by the establishment and called evil. It's because people are frightened to find out the full power of the mind. He was promoting witchcraft. He was into, he's the voodoo child. He's being used by these demonic entities. I mean, I tripped out. when I, Before I was a Christian, when I, my band was Zeppelin. Oh, oh, Zeppelin everywhere. But man, there was that one poster I reserved 
for Jimi Hendrix. Because even though Page played the most incredible riffs, I thought at the time, and all that, when I listened to Hendrix, man, live, no one could touch him, man. And I thought he was like an alien from another, and, and he, guess what? He was, he was possessed by alien entities, which we'll see. No, I, I think... Demonic entities, that is. It's, it's really sad, Joe, because he's talking about how great those were. And I know that, you know, maybe in, in Greg Laurie's head, he's thinking, you know, but if I can show that didn't give them the hope, maybe that's how the gospel comes in. But the truth is, is you're watching these men and women, he mentions Janis Joplin as well, be tormented. Mm-hmm. What did he die? He said nine, nine pills of sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. Why? That's because an accident. He had, and whether he was trying to kill himself or not, he did struggle with not being able to sleep. And I believe he was probably trying to get that humming to stop yeah. because they were demonic entities. Oppression. And you can hear right here in this clip from They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, where the people closest to him talk about those very experiences that Jimmy went through. Jimi Hendrix opened himself up to demonic beings who used him to initiate the hippie youth into the counterculture revolution. Alan Douglas, the executive curator of Hendrix's musical estate, admitted his spirit possession. Now, one of the biggest things about Jimmy was what he believed, and he believed that he was possessed by some spirit, and I got to believe it myself, and that's what we had to deal with all the time, and he was very humble about discussing it with people because he didn't want people to feel like he was being uh, pretentious and so on, but he really believed it, and he was wrestling with it constantly. Jimi Hendrix's live-in girlfriend, Fane Pridgen, also spoke of Hendrix's admission to being demon-possessed and related his demon possession to the reception of his music. He used to always talk about uh, some devil or something was in him, you know, and he didn't have any control over it. He didn't know what made him act the way he acted and what made him say the things he said and and songs and different things like that just come out of him, you know. And But uh, at first I used to think it was a cop-out when he had really done me in, right? And uh, he'd say, I don't know what come over me, you know. I really can't understand it. And, you know, he used to just, you know, grab his hair or something or pull his hand or stand in the mirror or cry or something. Oh, Lord, it was so sad when he would cry. He was, maybe he was the first man or maybe the only man that I've ever seen cry, you know, but it just killed me when he cried because he felt like, it, I mean, it seems like to me he was so tormented and just torn apart and like he really was obsessed, you know, with something really evil, you know. And he said, you know, like you're from Georgia, you know, he said, I should know how, you know, people drive demons. He actually thought about, you know, if we ever go, because I used to talk about my grandmother and all her weird stuff, you know, and he used to talk about us going down there and uh, having some root lady or somebody see if she could drive this demon out of him. The truth is, when I hear that, I mean, these are the these are the songs, these are the the talent, where it's coming from, where it's being channeled from, and instead of feeling pity for them, instead of recognizing that people were paying money in order to see what demons had come out of him Mm -hmm. he was miserable in all of it and he was you know oh man i i gotta get these demons out i can't sleep and the songs are coming out of him through the demonic possession you would never have heard of Jimi hendrix as this incredible guitarist if he hadn't been possessed channeling the music of demons and when greg laurie is exalting him as you know wow who thought of these and wow what a great performance it's like you're exalting demons do you get it and maybe he doesn't get it i want to Lord, have mercy on him. If he doesn't see it, have mercy on him and show him, but may he be brought to repudiate it so it doesn't lead so many people astray. But if he does see it, Lord, shake him up and bring him to repentance still because I'm concerned for him. 
No, it's so true. And and we want to look into a couple of people that he makes a, I guess, a plea that they actually did convert. And we want to look at them. And before we did, I wanted to contrast a little bit because we actually did a, not a documentary, but an interview with the pastor that helped lead Steve McQueen to the Lord. And Greg Laurie actually did an entire documentary on it and so forth. And we did our own thing on it as well, focusing more on the gospel presentation specifically. And also with his pastor, some of the the details about what took place yeah. in that, and the difference between that and not only what we're going to look into between who somebody he calls the chameleon here, and also others. The difference is is that when we look at Steve McQueen, for example, yeah. we see wickedness that we expose as wicked for what it is, but then ultimately what led him to come to Christ before he even knew. He had cancer and was dying yeah. and so forth. So I just wanted to point that out before we, see we get into that. We with Steve McQueen. We see a testimony. We see him when he's dying, feeling bad because he wished he could be alive longer to lead more people, to lead people to Jesus, you know, heartfelt. You know, you don't see that with these guys. No, amen. And instead of seeing that, we're going to see some of the writings that he put together for none other than Bob Dylan. And now we have an entire video and an article that you can go to, and we'd be playing a couple clips from there as well. But there are a bunch of people who think Bob Dylan's a believer. There was pretty much three years, uh, it looks like, where he did profess some sort of faith. But uh, we uh, we have our struggles with that. But let's read from Greg Glories and then play a couple of clips for you, some of the more recent ones as well. But this is from the book. It says, The Chameleon. Bob Dylan is known for hiding behind his wayfarers and constantly changing his persona. He went from folk to electric rock, was the prophet of protest, and went again from Nashville crooner to circus ringleader. But in 1979, he became a very unexpected and outspoken follower of Jesus Christ. He even issued three gospel-infused albums to prove it. Throughout his career, fans and critics alike have struggled to figure him out. Now, I want to read some of the concluding parts of the article, of the chapter he specifically wrote regarding Bob Dylan and his salvation. This is in page 73, after he has already shown a number of convoluted understandings of what he really believes. And he says this, The simple answer to the riddle of Robert Zimmerman may simply be this. He is Jewish. He is a Christian. He was born Jewish, and he was born again to be a Christian. Being a Christian does not mean you are no longer Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were as well, including the apostle Paul. It was to a well-known, deeply religious man and Jewish leader named Nicodemus that Jesus said, You must be born again. Bob Dylan certainly seemed to have that experience and has never denied it. So why should we question it? Like you and me? Bob Dylan is a work in progress. So, Joe, wow. just like you and me, Bob's just a work in progress. But ultimately, he came to Christ in the 70s, and he's been a believer this entire time. Even though he no longer professes Christ as his Lord and Savior, even though he's professed other religion since, uh, and but it's interesting because when you hear Greg Laurie preach, I guess it's only the people listening to him in the congregation uh, or that he preaches to that hear him by way of radio they need to make sure they're repentant and following Jesus because Greg Laurie has stated before that if you're not following Jesus right now, you've probably never been saved. But I guess if you're a really good musician, God gives you a pass. 
I don't know how he squares it, but it doesn't square with what he's preached before. But then again, maybe it is going with some of his newer teaching, relatively newer teaching, that you can be a believer without being a disciple, which contradicts the word of God, which repudiates that lie as a doctrine of demons when it warns that Satan's the father of lies and it warns that Satan basically told Eve, you know, you shall not surely die. And in the New Testament, we're told, brethren, uh, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you, shall, you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And he's talking about spiritual death there, because he goes on to say, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. Jesus said in John chapter 8, around verse 51, he said, he that keeps my word will never see death. So that's all physical death, obviously, because we all physically die. It's the point of man wants to die, but after his judgment, it's about spiritual death. Bob Dylan, there's no indication that he's keeping God's word. In fact, he no longer confesses Christ as Lord. So why are we teaching something contrary to Scripture? And again, it's not just about him putting these guys on a pedestal. It's about the message this is giving to other people who are going apostate. It's letting them know that, don't worry. You know what? You can have a confession like, you know, maybe John Lennon's at the end or Elvis Presley was reading a book on, on, on occultism and demonic powers and died, you know, an adulterer, and he's still in glory. He rolled in the glory, as Greg says. So if they don't have anything to fear, certainly we have nothing to fear. That is... How many souls is this live going to damn? You no, know? no, it's true. And, and it's interesting because that was his conclusion after writing throughout that chapter about a lot of the convoluted nature of his quote-unquote walk with Christ, even where he quotes Bob Dylan saying, well, Jesus only preached for three years as well, even quoting him when in a more recent interview when asked if he belongs to any church that he said he belongs to the church of the poison mind. Yeah. So, so yeah. Hey, I don't know what church I that is, that quote. but it ain't the church. That's not the Christian church. It's it's not the church one that the Jesus Christ mind. said specifically that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, yeah. We need to have our minds renewed in Christ and have every thought brought captive to his obedience and taking certain songs from certain albums, as Great Glory does in this chapter regarding Bob Dylan, and saying, well, look, this is from his latest album, but don't read the lyrics of the other ones. Don't read the lyrics. This is a convoluted... And the first thing I thought reading this chapter, then reading some of the lyrics from the, the latest album that we have of Bob Dylan, was a double-minded man yeah. is unstable is in oh, yeah. all his ways. And this guy well, is more comfortable than anyone I know. Commitment, another commitment he made. Yeah, that's that right. That's a, great, that's a great that's commit, a great that's a great segue. To the devil. Because he's actually talked about he's actually saying about this. And we're gonna play a clip actually from the They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, where you can hear him and Eric Clapton singing a song about selling their soul at the crossroads. Bob Dylan sings a takeoff on this theme on Highway 49, and Eric Clapton sings Crossroads, which seems to be a lament for having once sold one's soul. Ginger Baker, formerly of Clapton's group Cream, says of Cream, quote, It happens to us quite often. It feels as though I'm not playing my instrument. Something else is playing it, and that same thing is playing all three of our instruments. That's what I mean when I say it's frightening sometimes. Maybe we'll all play the same phrase out of nowhere. It happens very often with us. You know, I know it went into Eric Clapton there a little bit, and but I hope people are seeing the well, it little, spiritual it reality. It gets we're way, thinking, we're gonna go. way yeah. heavier, but him singing those songs we're gonna we're gonna see him actually talking here specifically to 60 minutes and this is later in life this is long after the three-year profession of faith that he yeah. had made and hear him talking about the master and commander and the deals that he's really made 
When Dylan was asked by Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes why he is still out there performing after all these years, which now is five decades, Dylan gives a chilling answer regarding a bargain he made with an invisible spiritual entity that he feels he must keep. Why do you still do it? Why are you still out here? Well, it goes back to the destiny thing. You know, I made a bargain with it, you know, a long time ago, and I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where um, I am now. Should, should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and in this earth, and in, uh, and then in a world we can't see. Now, Joe, I, I've, I'm sad to say that I've had believers say, "Oh, that was the bargain he made with God." Actually, doesn't really seem to be that, especially with some of the history behind some of the bargaining he talks about with the crossroads as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then the stuff he writes about, and you know, it's a and all the artists he hangs out with and so forth, a lot of occultists and stuff. And and yeah, he's talking about the prince and the power of the air there. And he obviously, when he did that interview, he's not following the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not keeping that bargain. He's not preaching the gospel. He says that brought me where I am now. Well, who brought him to where he was now? As an artist, that came long before he professed Christ. So he's talking about, you know, the crossroads deal or making a, or signing a pact with the devil. Uh, it, it's just heartbreaking. Like you said, Chad, Chad, that quote, I've seen that quote too, where he says, uh, I think we might even quote it in that clip later on. Uh, by the way, you guys want to check out our video if you haven't checked it out. They sold their souls uh, for rock and roll. Uh, it's a 10-hour version where you get this and way more. And then uh, some of these things are on our YouTube site, which you can go there anytime and check it out. Uh, but the, people need to be the wake-up call in the church because a lot of young people are into these. Most Christians are into secular music, Chad. And I, I can't, there's a difference in your walk. When you're in the Lord and you're meditating on His Word and you're praising God and you're, you're using music to glorify God, man, your walk gets stronger, you know. But when you're soaking your brain in music that's filthy and, and godless, what comes in, the Bible says, Jesus says, will come out, you know? So it's very important that we walk with the Lord. But it's really sad that you uh, can see the evidence here and still act like these guys are right with God, you know? No, it is sad. And, you know, when we, we're, we're going to look at one more artist on this. But as Joe mentioned, we do have They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll. You can see a myriad of artists on there. And we also, on this very YouTube channel, make sure you're just subscribed to it. Because you can go through, we have a ton of clips on here. We have an entire video on Bob Dylan. And when we look at this next artist, this is somebody, Joe, that I got to be honest, when somebody said, well, he's a Christian, I said, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe that this man would be a Christian. There's been so many tall tales even made up about Ozzy Osbourne and Alice Cooper and some of the stuff that they had done that I think some of it's just folklore, uh, nonetheless. But when we look at Alice Cooper, I, I got to ask before we look at some of the even some of the clips of him playing music and stuff. Is it not absolutely just mind boggling to you how many people are like, oh, this guy is just an outright Christian. It's so awesome. We have a Christian right there in the rock and roll scene to preach the gospel. Yeah, it's it's a lot of these folks that are saying that I just feel, you know, they just don't know better. They just think, oh, he made a profession of faith. Oh, he's a Christian now. Praise God. Uh, the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. And uh, he still does a lot of the old songs that he used to do that are very demonic. Uh, he still, he tours, get this, he tours with Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson is, he says in his biography, you know, uh, that he is was certified by 
Satanist Anton LaVey to become a member of the Church of Satan. And most people know he had the tour Antichrist Superstar. He, he went in, in his chapter in his autobiography about the rules that starts off with, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, quoting Lester Crowley. He sings about Thelema and Crowley's teaching. He's a Satanist. And guess what? He goes on tour together with Marilyn Manson, and they're very good friends. By the way, Marilyn Manson has just been outed by a number of gals as being sexually abusive. That's at least the allegations. And, of course, when he's interviewed, oh, they're just allegations, you know. And, uh, you know, and he, he's good friends with him, but just it's not just that. He goes on stage with him and supports him. Would any of you support, go on stage and support a guy that's promoting Satanism and all the youth are there and singing with him? And they'll sing songs like, you know, uh, I'm 18, or they'll do Come Together by the Beatles. And by the way, when he's doing Come Together with the Beatles, or by the Beatles, you have Marilyn Manson in, in doing that, uh, that, sh- that song together, collaborating with, with Alice Cooper, a Satanist, man, with Alice Cooper. And then also you have Johnny Depp there. Steven uh, Tyler. He's on guitar. Yeah, Steven Tyler. Johnny Depp, man, he says, literally, he says, you know, that, he, 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 you know, the whole thing with the whole trial right now, it's come out where he's he's become supposedly this monster, you know? Well, Johnny Depp himself said there's like 30 demons in him, 30 yep. spirit entities in him. I think he might have even said demons. And Steven Tyler, and he's the one guy, one of the very few huge artists that we don't deal with and they sold their souls rock and roll. So they didn't look into him in depth, but guess what I found later? He admitted later, uh, and Vanity Fair did an article on it, but it's in his biography, where he said, man, he wasn't making it as a rock star, but then he started practicing uh, Lester Crowley's sex magic. And he got together with a gal, and they had a sexual experience. And during the time when, you know, they, they, they cried out. They prayed. Well, they're not praying to God, to these satanic forces, right? That's what Crowley taught anyway. Uh, so uh, what else but spirit entities? And he said, boom, then he made it big. Stephen Tyler. So you got all these people that are in touch with demons and practicing Crowley and magic and so forth. Alice Cooper's, you know, bird of a feather, man, flocked together. And you're going to tell me he's a Christian? I don't care how much you go to church, man. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to uh, a donut shop makes you a police officer. Amen? No, and it's sad. In fact, in a interview he did with Business Standard, it quotes, and it talks about him. It says, the 68-year-old veteran musician songs contain lyrics about sex, debauchery, and fictional evil characters. And this is just a stage persona. He doesn't take too seriously. And he's quoted as saying, I don't think they saw the humor in what I was doing. Rock and roll horror, and comedy are all in bed together. And I'm going to read these lyrics for you. Before this you is go on, from, Chad, I want to yes. say something about comedy. You know who, who who's a, tries to be a comic and tries to make it humorous? Anton LaVey, head of Church of Satan. Mm-hmm. You know who else does that? Because I've studied him and I've revealed how demonic he is and all these connections with him. It's Satan and Crowley. He used a lot of humor because that lets you get your guard down, not to take it too seriously. Before you know it, you're entertaining darkness. You open yourself to the demonic world. No, and I think that's a good point, uh, because when we read the lyrics, and you can see right here in this video, he is specifically playing this song, Feed My Frankenstein. And I want to read some of the lyrics. We're not going to play it for you, but I want you to, to watch him. No, this is what he is singing. Feed my Frankenstein. Meet my libido. He's a psycho. Feed my Frankenstein. Hungry for love, and it's lunchtime. I don't even want to go in any further did I say something about babies there? I, I don't even want, yeah, he, yeah. whoa, whoa, baby chow down. Baby, I, I, I want to say something about baby yeah. chow down. I know in that song. On his stage, I mean, he has mangled and butchered babies all over the place. I mean, that, you know, dolls, you know? I mean, this is wicked. And he was the Marilyn Manson of his day. 
But guess what? He says, now my music doesn't shock. That's because they pushed the envelope. We can only go so far. Now it's Marilyn Manson. And by the way, Alice Cooper, named after a woman using makeup. That's exactly what Marilyn Manson did. Marilyn, named after a woman using makeup. I mean, they're birds of feather. No wonder they collaborate together, Chad. No, it is true. And when we see this, and we see this guy telling us that he's a Christian, he believes the whole Bible, you know, all this stuff. But then he's doing this, and the Bible is very clear that you shouldn't be coarse jesting. Like, this is disgusting. And the fact that these intermingle, and you can just sit there, and you can co-mingle with absolute wickedness that you can watch walk arm and arm together playing satanic music for people literally with satanists when the bible is clear we should not be unevenly yoked with the non-believer if i believed alice was a believer and guys i wish i could say it gets better but it doesn't it gets worse in fact this video that we're going to be playing is actually from an expose on the artist kesha and the fact that she literally plays in one of her videos, Die Young, a satanic cult leader. And in this video, you're going to see Alice Cooper and Kesha together. And by the way, if you look on the stage, you see a dancing phallus. I mean, this is disgusting. You got to check it out. In a duet featuring Alice Cooper and Kesha entitled What Baby Wants, Kesha is depicted as the devil in a dress, quote, taking your bleeding heart and your soul, no regrets. She'll take your bleeding heart and your soul, no regrets. When her victim wants out, Kesha tells him it's too late. And now it's too, too, too late for you. And as the devil's servant sings, quote, and now it's too late for you. She also says, I'm going to drain your veins and bathe in your blood. I'm going to drain your veins and bathe in your blood. She says a little bit later, I'll make you sit, beg, roll over, play dead. I'll make you sit, beg, roll over, play dead. Because as the song says, what Satan or baby wants, Satan gets. Alice Cooper, who collaborated with Kesha on the song, admitted that Kesha is playing the role of Satan and stated, quote, We decided to call it What Baby Wants, Baby Gets because in the song, he tries to say, Hey, that wasn't part of the deal. And she says, No, no, no. You don't understand what baby wants, baby gets, end quote. In other words, folks, in the end, Satan gets the souls of those who think it's all just a game. Kesha, so happens, is just another dupe tool that Satan is using as a prince and the power of the air to draw the deluded masses to hell. Joe, when I see that clip, I see just absolute debauchery. But when I read in Greg Laurie's book and I watch in interviews that he's done with Alice Cooper, in fact, they're pictured together on the back of this book. These are some of the things that he says. He says, the showman, the Alice Cooper band changed rock music forever and their signature sound, surrealistic stage show and Alice's over the top horror inspired persona. Their 1973 tour not only shattered all previous box office records, but defined the modern era of touring. Alice and his band of musical brothers chugged, snorted, inhaled, imbibed, ripped, tripped, and tweaked on all of the devil's candy they could lay their hands on. He is proof that God does give second, third, and fourth chances in life, amazing grace, until we draw our last breath. But Joe... When I read that and see that, and then only to find out that while he was under the influence of all those things, these were the songs he was writing, and yet I'm supposed to believe that a conversion to Christ 
that you don't change, you don't avoid the appearance of evil anymore, no sanctification in terms of that. You're singing all of this nonsense. In fact, Greg Laurie in the book talks about going to his show and then going to church with him in the morning and having this great relationship with him. How on earth am I supposed to read the scriptures and see this going on and saying, yeah, that's a sanctified man growing in holiness? Yeah, well, uh, Laurie needs to face up the fact that these guys, when he's with Marilyn Manson, that's the church of the poison mind. Dylan mentioned, uh, you're getting Marilyn Manson and him on stage together. Marilyn Manson plunges broken beer bottles into his chest and cuts himself open. We expose him in our video. Uh, sexual perversion on stage. Takes the Bible and mocks God and, and speaks wickedly of God. Rips pages out of the Bible, rips the Bible up, and so forth. And he says, Marilyn Manson is one of my good friends, you know. He's up there promoting him. How can a true born blood-bought believer that loves Jesus promote someone who he knows is going, and his fans are going to turn on Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson has been made in, in his image, you know, in a lot of ways, and just brought even further. And how could, he, how could he promote him and support the wicked, you know? And also, let's keep this in mind. I'm sorry. I've looked at what he said. He, I'm sorry. He needs to repent. Uh, Alice Cooper is a liar because Alice Cooper, he says, well, yeah, but, I'll, you know, uh, Marilyn Manson is into the occult. Yeah, he should be supporting and, and turning your fans on him and acting like he's a great guy and doing concerts with him, man. But guess what? He says that Marilyn Manson, uh, well, Marilyn Manson's into the occult, and I w- we were never in the occult. That's not true. So I said he's, he's, not, he's not honest. Uh, in fact, listen to this. This is in his Me Alice, his, his biography. He admits, how did he get his name? He says, both Charlie Carnell and Dick were friendly with Mrs. Uh, Paxson's daughter, who claimed her mother was clairvoyant and could help us solve our problems. She was an occultist. She was in touch with spirits. Alice Paxson also had a Ouija board. And we started asking questions. That's before they had the name Alice Cooper. Okay, they had a different name at the time. I wasn't even working the board when we asked if there was a spirit in the room. There was. The board spelled out the name Alice Cooper. For three hours, everyone drilled the board on Alice Cooper. And then they went with that. And then he said, he added some things to the story, but he says in the book that I'm being true with what happened here. And then I had made some things up about who Alice Cooper was in the past and stuff and so forth. But uh, that's where he said he got his name through an occult experience. So did he change the name of when he became a Christian from Alice Cooper? That wasn't his name, guys. Uh, From this name, this demonic entity gave him because he knows, he says Satan exists. He knows these spiritual demons now. They changed the name. Well, guess what? It gets gets worse. Check this out. Alice Cooper's lead guitarist, uh, Michael Bruce, admitted in 2005, he says, we went down a couple of times when they, speaking of the doors, were recording and watched them record. And so they came to our house in Topanga Canyon. It was Bruce Botnick, the engineer for uh, Paul Rothschild, Arthur Lee, David Crosby, and Jim Morrison. What a lineup. We sat in a circle and held hands and chanted trying to bring some spirits or something. Dennis Dunaway, Alice Cooper's bass guitarist, admitted, we had a seance during a Halloween party at our house in Topanga Canyon. The Doors' girlfriends, Pam and Peggy, and Pam was a witch, uh, claimed to be a witch, married Jim Morrison in a witchcraft wedding. Pam and Peggy, who were great friends of ours, they decided they were going to have Lee from Love, David Crosby, Paul Rothschild, The Doors, and all of a sudden, our house was full of these cool musicians and music people. And we had a seance that night. And it was pretty heavy, actually. There was a candle in the middle and creepy shadows dancing on the walls. Jim Morrison was deep 
into it with Michael Bruce. Tim Morrison, by the way, keep in mind, if you watch our video, They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, we show where he said he, uh, you know, that he was possessed by demons. He says the spirits were still in him. He talks about how he became a street person. Uh, he was on Venice Beach sleeping on a roof at night. And he met the spirit of music, Satan. And the first concerts, he was seeing concerts that were being given to him by the enemy. And then he, those first songs he wrote, he was just taking notes of these. It's, it's demonic, guys. Okay. Jim Morrison, by the way, I know he mentions him in there. Yes, Jim Morrison says, sings about cancel my subscription to the resurrection. Cancel my subscription to the resurrection. Send my credentials to the house of detention. I got some friends inside. He was a Satanist. Jim Morrison, he says, was deep into it. It's not about into the seance and contacting these demons with Michael Bruce, our guitarist, holding one of his hands and Alice Cooper holding the other as they were in the circle. The girl who was performing it was someone who we knew. Uh, a little further down, it says she started freaking out and started really freaking me out and talking in this almost demonic Linda Blair voice. It all ended during this girl's freak out with Glenn Buxton, who had had too much to drink that night, falling through a hole from the upstairs and crashing in the middle of the circle. It wasn't planned. It was just that the craziest thing ever, but the timing couldn't have been more creepy uh, to those of us who saw it. So we're talking about... Uh, we're talking about Alice Cooper getting their names from a demon, getting the name from a demon, okay? And we're talking about his band members talking about the same experience with Alice Cooper, Jim Morrison, who claimed to be possessed, and other artists contacting spirits and calling them out. We've been warning people that this is the reality. And we want to act like, hey, you know what? Well, Alice Cooper, well, he said he was never in the occult. Well, guess what? How can I trust him? I can't. And then if he says, you know what? I actually those guys all made that, all that stuff they just made up. It was just lies. Well then. Or, yeah, we did that, but I repent of all the occultism now. Well, the Bible says, you know, a bad company corrupts good morals. So you'd be hanging out and not just hanging out, man. If you were witnessing to him and bringing him to Jesus, that'd be one thing. But when you're up there doing dark music, that when you were under the influence of these demonic entities that you were receiving, you became the biggest artist as far as touring for a while. And while you're laboring under these demonic spirits, and you're doing a lot of those same songs. You're doing songs with Marilyn Manson, who is a confessed Satanist who hates Jesus Christ. And then you're supporting what he's doing. Man, That I'm sorry. There's no way that could be justified. No, I couldn't agree more. And and this is the, the seriousness we want to speak to this. And I know that, Joe, that for most people watching this, they're probably a believer. And I'm, I'm praying that you will be sanctified by this, that this would turn your heart to say, you know what, I shouldn't be listening to this stuff. There's no way this is going to benefit my walk with Christ. And I hope right. and pray that you read the words that we see so clearly also in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, when it tells us to run our race with endurance. One of the things that it says is to lay aside every sin. And I believe some of this music, it's not just an encumbrance, right? It is literal sin to sit there next to the seat of scoffers and disobey God and watch people mock the, the king that you say you serve. These are mediums. We're not supposed to be seeking mediums. 100%. And... You mo you're listening to songs and meditating on that which mocks them, and yet going back, oh, no, it's totally fine. That's okay. And I hope that you see that and re recognize you need to set it aside so you can run your race with endurance, but also the encumbrance. Those things that maybe they're not sin, but they're keeping you from running your race with endurance. Let nothing keep you from that. But, Joe, I want to ask you, I know this is a, a documentary we're doing now that we've put together here for these people. And there are plenty of people that don't know Christ, and maybe they're just clicking on it because they want to hear their artists talked about. So, Joe, what would you say to someone that these are their favorite artists? What is a what is a message of hope that you can give after finding out that so many of their favorite artists were actually involved in wickedness, witchcraft, 
wizardry and demons were the ones that were ultimately the sirens calling them to their favorite idols. What would you say to those people? Well, it's funny. You just ended your sentence with almost with their favorite idols because that was exactly what was going through my mind when you were talking, Chad, is that uh, we just did a message in, in our fellowship. Uh, I just preached on Revelation 21.8. We've been working our way through the book of Revelation, and it talks about uh, those who are on the list of the damned. It's the, it's the vice list of the damned who will go to the lake of fire, who will experience the second death rather than the resurrection to eternal life in Christ. And that uh, passage warns of those, of those who are into idolatry. And idol, an idol is anything that you put before God. It, it's not just, uh, you know, images that are made out of sticks and stones and, 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 and tree trunks. Uh, you can be shaving your idol, right? You can be your idol. The Bible says, last days, men will be lovers of self. You could be parking your idol in your garage or your car, in your, in your uh, 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 you know, front, in front of your house, your car, or whatever. You have to turn from idolatry. The Bible says greed is idolatry in Colossians chapter 3. So we have to turn from all of our idols, but certainly... Uh, I was just uh, being interviewed by a ministry called Licensed Apparent on the radio, and uh, the, the the gentleman that interviewed me, they uh, at Shepherd Hill Academy, they they take kids for a year straight, man. Kids leave their music, their iPhones, their romances all aside because, as he mentioned, a lot of these kids have one foot in the prison and one foot in the in the grave, and there's half of them are suicidal when they first come, but they see these radical transformations. He says a lot of it has to do with getting them away from the music. And he said something interesting to me, Chad. He said, he said, you know, uh, Joe, he goes, as addictive as the drugs are, right? He said, you know what's harder for them to give up than the drugs? Is their music. Because it has such an addictive pull on them. And he recognizes, he's, he's actually shows our presentation. He sold their souls for rock and roll to the kids as part of the year course. And he sees these radical transformations when they get out of all this music and everything. And it's just important that we understand that uh, if you're putting music before Jesus, you're like, you know, uh, Jesus, just don't touch my music and I'll follow you. Well, then you're not really following him because the Lord God said the first of the commandments is that you shall know God's be- not know God before him because those are all idols. Whatever you put before Jesus is an idol. And the greatest commandment, Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and soul and all thy strength and all thy mind it means to truly turn to the Lord. You know, Not just say, oh yeah, I believe you, Jesus, but I'll have to be your disciple because great glory said I didn't have to really follow you. No, if you're an idolater and you're not following the Lord, Revelation 28, you're going to the lake of fire, okay? You need to repent, and you need to turn to Jesus. And you got to keep in mind, too, look, listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 2. I think Greg Laurie, I think everybody in the audience, I think Chad and I, we all need to take this to heart. Should you help the wicked, should he be up there with Marilyn Manson, a minister in the church of Satan? Should you help the wicked, I'm talking about uh, Alice Cooper there, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? You can't do that, Alice. Not if you love Jesus. You can't do that. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. We would encourage you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to turn from all this wickedness. Realize that your life is a vapor. Our lives go really quick compared to eternity. And you're going to stand before God because it says it's appointed to man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You need to make sure you are right with God before you leave planet Earth, man. And that means, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And repentance means to have a change of heart, a change of mind, which leads to a turning away from darkness, not just in your heart and mind, but in your lifestyle, and turning to Christ, turning to the light of Jesus. And listen to what the scriptures warn. This is so important that you hear this, man. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Do not be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among you. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. If you if you do that, I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Jesus, the God, words, God's word says in John 1.12, as many as received him, that has received Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you turn from darkness and you embrace Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, and, and, and trust what he did on the cross of Calvary for you, where he shed his blood, poured out his blood for your sins. Understand this. I don't care what you've done, how evil you've been, whatever your past is. Paul said that God saved him as the chief of sinners. He says it's a faithful saying that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. I'm the worst. But Paul went on to say why Jesus saved him as the worst sinner, because he was having Christians killed, because he said he was a pattern, that if God would save him, the worst sinner, he would save you and me, and Chad. And Chad and I were really bad too. And you know what? Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away. You just come to him right now and say, Lord God, I turn to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you're coming to him as your Lord right now, guess what? You're going to be forgiven of all your sins. You're going to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Anything you've done, you're going to have a, a clean slate. And then you just continue to trust and follow Jesus, get into his word, grow in the faith, find a God-fearing, uh, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled church where they just love Jesus. And guess what? You'll be blessed now and forevermore. But one thing you want to do is beware of Satan's schemes because we're not to be ignorant of his devices. And thank God and praise him daily in song, in worship, from lips and hearts of thanksgiving for the salvation he has brought you in Christ Jesus. And when you realize what Jesus did, you don't want to go back to this vomit, man. You don't want to go back to this mud. You want to just worship the Lord and give him glory and live for him. By the way, I'm going to tell you right now, Jimi Hendrix's music, which... Jimi Hendrix said it just came through him by demons, isn't going to be in heaven, okay? And I hope to see Greg there. But guess what? He's not going to be singing Imagine in heaven, which says, Imagine there's no heaven. We need to get excited about Jesus, man, and lift up the name of Jesus and preach Jesus. Love you guys. Press on him. God bless you guys. We love you. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.